Welcome to the Mortcast, presented to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Before I get started, I'd like to talk to you about Blanchard Family Wines, located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado, just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. Um, you know, there's a bunch of stri- restrictions going on right now. Uh, it's going to be hard to, like, do in inside dining. They do have, like, in the middle of the dairy block, they do have outside seating but it's limited, I would suggest you go to bfwdenver.com, get yourself some wine. If you're like me, get the 2017 Cabernet, which is really, really good. But they also have Pinot, they got Rieslings, they got Whites, they got everything that you really would need to have a good time with uh, having some great wine that's a uh, local small business, Colorado-based. It is uh, It is just, I highly encourage you to, to go to support these small businesses. Additionally, you can go to bfwdenver.com and do a virtual wine tasting. Um, and those are really popular. So I suggest you get it now and sometimes it takes a couple months to book. So if you want to give it away as a gift, go there right now today, as you listen to this, go to bfwdenver.com and uh, look that up and get your gift right now. Once again, they're located between 18th and 19th and Blake and Wazee in beautiful lower downtown Denver, Colorado. Just a couple blocks away from Coors Field, right in the middle of the dairy block. When you go in, tell them Jeff Morton from CSG Podcast sent you there. Sitting in the stand of the sports arena Waiting for the show to begin Red lights, green lights, strawberry wine A good friend of mine Follows the stars Venus and Mars are all right What is up, everybody? Thank you all for joining me on the latest Mortcast, part of the CSG Network, as I abruptly turn that down. Uh, I am, of course, your host, Jeff Morton. And joining me today is uh, is my friend, uh, your friend. You know him from uh, DNVR. You know him from Locked on Nuggets. Um, you know him formerly from Denver Stiffs. You know him formerly from Reddit. It is my friend, <laughs> Adam Mares. Hello, Adam. <laughs> Hello, Jeff. That was quite the uh, Mort intro right there, man. That was, was. Uh, you. That, that was very you, man. Very, very you. I went the full wings. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> never go the full wings. Uh, <laughs> never go full wings. <laughs> yes. So, well, look, I wanted to have you on because, look, it's the season's fast approaching. But before I get into that, man, um, what are you listening to right now in terms of music? I want to know. Is there anything spe- new that you Oh, in terms remember? of music? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so there is actually because uh, D-Line, my buddy Eric, has been mm-hmm. trying to get me on Spotify for forever. And right. I kept telling him, like, I've got Apple Music. What's the big deal? So I finally got on Spotify. And I will say I did find some new music. But this isn't like my typical, you know me, I'm like, I like, like roots rock and folk and, you mm-hmm. know, you know, that, that, that type of Americana and stuff. But I found something that reminded me of my youth, this like Irish band called Blondes. And they have, they sound just like the music I listened to in high school that like pop punk, like save the day, brand new. They sound, somehow they've captured, they're like these 20 year old guys from Ireland and somehow they've captured the like soul of like suburban kids in the 90s so kudos, <laughs> kudos to them that's that's fantastic i uh, you know so it's funny i was uh, talking to uh, my fellow co-hosts on the uh, my music show and uh, we determined that uh, uh, smashing pump has just released a new album and i'm going to be doing a like a full podcast on on that mm. album here soon 
And it occurred to me that there is a, a, as you get older, when the newer bands hit that element of nostalgia, it's, it makes you automatically like them. Yeah. And it's, and, and I don't know if yeah. that's a sign of age or if it's that just is that feeling of recognition, I guess. Cause I, I don't know, man. Cause where I, are I, I, you on, like where, where are you on Smashing Pumpkins? Are you a Smashing Pumpkins fan? Um, yes, I'm not tremendously a Billy Corgan fan, but I am. A yeah, 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 he's fan. not too likable. <laughs> but uh, Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness and Siamese yeah. Dream are both of, two of my favorite yeah. albums. Of all totally, time. yeah. Um, they're both great. Adore is good too. Uh, but... 1979 to me is like a perfect song. Like there, there's maybe 30 perfect songs, and that's one of them. Like I think that's a really, really great song. Oh, it's great. Uh, uh, Bullet with Butterfly Wings is just, I heard it. You know, the, the, uh, Melancholy mm-hmm. came out when I was a senior in high school. And uh, there was just, to, to tell people my age, uh, and there is just like uh, Bullet with Butterfly Wings. Like there was a friend of mine named, coincidentally named Jeff, who just played that song all the time. So whenever I hear yeah. it, I think I'm immediately transported back to high school and how much I like it, but I appreciate it more now than I did then, if that makes sense. So um, anyway, that's why I like 1979. It's like it captures a moment in time, but it's also like about coming of age. So it's like, it's a double, it's a double nostalgia for me. Right. And and, and if Spanish and Pumping is anything, they're a good pop band, you know, that had guitars basically. So um, did you listen to Zwan? The, the little offshoot Zwan. I did. Billy, <laughs> I did. yeah. <laughs> if, if anything you know about anything Billy Corgan about in, in related, he will believe it wholly and he'll be borderline off-putting while doing it. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so sure. Mr. Miles, we have, we, Tim Connolly talked today, um, gave some comments about Jeremy Grant and, uh, gave some comments about Michael Porter Jr. and all that. It was on the back of Michael Malone talking yesterday. Um, just on a broad sense, what was your what was your takeaways from uh, Tim Connolly talking? They didn't really have a whole lot. Maybe this was because of technical difficulties. It made the whole oh, yeah. interview a little bit difficult. <laughs> so, <Yes. laughs> um, there was a, there was a weird barrier between like the reporters and and and, and him. My, my only takeaway I would have is that. It seemed like, I mean, he wasn't hiding from the fact that their plan A didn't happen. Their plan A was Jeremy Grant. And so, so much, it seems like, of what happened behind that, in, you know, Tory Craig leaving, Mason Plumley leaving, whatever else, it seems like that was all like, okay, well, we have to adjust on the fly and make new plans. And I think he's comfortable enough with the plans that they have found. But it is always interesting when he, when he pretty much comes out and says that wasn't what we were planning on doing, losing Jeremy. You know, it's funny. I I asked a question about how you're balancing uh, the the development of all these young players that are on your roster now with trying to be a Western Conference contender. Yeah. And he made a point to emphasize being nimble. Uh, I was about to say nubile, but that's a completely different world. Where um, <laughs> <laughs> being nimble. Uh, so being nimble, I guess, is is a, a good way of saying we have to be able to both do both. Um, and that yeah. really, you really are focusing in on Mike Ford Jr. at that point because, I mean, let's face it, a lot rests on his shoulders this year, a lot. Well, that's the maybe the other takeaway was he just came out and said it. Um, and, and it's not like it was – he said it's the worst-kept secret because I think you just have to look at the roster to kind of know. Right. 
Um, but yeah, it's, this is the year of Michael Porter. And if it's not the year of Michael Porter, then it's not the year of the Denver Nuggets, I think. So um, that, that was another sort of interesting takeaway from him. Um, and the interesting, the other interesting part, when you, you asked that question, Jeff, his response was also like, that's a coach question, not more than it is a front office one. And I think what this season signifies in part is, hey, there's a path to this really working out well but it requires Malone to buy into something he's usually pretty reluctant to buy into, which is it's going to be a lot of offense, probably going to have to pay, play a little fast, and it's going to be a lot of Michael Porter, three things that Malone hasn't necessarily embraced to this point. So that, that kind of sets the table, in my opinion, entering the season. Doesn't, I, mean, I mean, doesn't it dovetail into what Malone was talking about with his non sequitur about, uh, about Michael Porter Jr., which I found interesting because he it came on the heels of him talking about and you talked about it with Matt this, uh, on the on the lockdown, um, Matt Moore. Um, they, there is a uh, a feeling like at least to me, and this is the way it came across because we were both at the same uh, presser. It came across to me like he said, "Oh, I better say this." <laughs> That's the way it came across to me because it, it it was it seemed it seemed like. I have to say this because I need to make sure that Michael Porter Jr. knows that he's still like, he's a big part of this, but I'm not giving him the, you know, the, the, it's not going to be given to him, I guess is the way I I interpreted it. Yeah, that's, that's kind of my read on it as well. I think Malone is good at these things where he's good at like playing both sides because as a coach, you have to always be thinking about how things are received by different parties. And I think that was exactly it. Look, if Michael Porter, I was thinking about this actually this morning. I, it, it becomes cliche to say Michael Malone. Yeah, like, oh, of course Michael Porter's going to start, but it's Malone. You never know. But then I was sitting there going, no, it is Malone. You never know. Like, <laughs> it really, he really could just be like, you know what? No, to the bench. I'm putting in, you know, Greg Whittington or something. I don't know. So um, my read on it all is Michael Porter is so clearly one of the three most talented players on the roster. He's not up to speed yet, but to delay him any longer would probably, I think would probably be even too much, even for Michael Malone. So Malone, I think is taking a lot of um, medication for, for ulcers as he heads into this training camp, because I think he, even he knows he has to do something that's going to drive him nuts. Well, this is, a, I mean, I, and I pointed this out to people before there's some pressure on Malone because he signed a two year extension last year. But right. two-year extensions are one-year extensions because yep. coaches don't like going into their last year. So I, I, I've been telling people, like, look, there's pressure on him, uh, too, here to get this right. And there is a – and I don't envy him there. because I've been accused of being hard on Malone. But I, I don't envy him this task because the things didn't go as they thought it was going, going to go this offseason uh, in free agency. And they, you know, Plumlee is whatever, but losing out on, on Grant – um, the way they lost out on him was right. had to be kind of maybe not necessarily eye-opening because Grant is, you know, his motives for doing what he did are his own. Um, but there is a, I, th- I think you got to look at this and say, man, there's extra pressure on the loan now to get this right. Because a lot of this rests on, on both him and Michael Porter Jr. to make this team not have to take a step back because I, 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 I don't, I don't think it'd right. be bad if they stayed even you know. Right. Right. I think that's what you're looking at here, Jeff is, and and it makes it harder in that it's only a 72 game season. So maybe, 
you can end up with the same record percentage, but maybe it feels worse. You know, maybe you lose in the first round, but to a better team. I mean, there's so many different variables here, but the fact of the matter is under Michael Malone, the Nuggets have only gotten better. So when we analyze the job he's done, and I think he's done a very good job, when we analyze it, it always falls back to the foundation of, yeah, but the team got better. How could you be upset? At the end of the day, how can you be upset when the team continues to improve? This is the first year where I think it feels – I don't want to say, yeah, I will say less likely than the years before that they will be better. That doesn't mean that they're going to be bad. It just means that it doesn't look as linear of like, oh, they they went from point A to B, then B to C, then C to D. Right now, it doesn't look like there's a next natural step. It's can Michael Porter develop? Can they fill in the gaps? There's all seven new players on the roster, which is an enormous amount. Um, you, you don't know. And so with Michael Malone, of course, he wants to – us, us as fans and analysts, we look at this and we say, you know, the Nuggets have this title window that we think can be open for two, three years or beyond. Michael Malone might look at this and go, I might not be here for those two, three years if we don't get here one more, if we don't make improvements this year. So he is, he is in a really, really tough spot. But guess what? He gets paid an enormous amount of money for a very hard job. That's the way the world works. The harder the job, the more money oftentimes. So, you know, it's funny. He'll be all right. You do a, a you have done a podcast with uh, George Carl, and George yeah. was the master, an absolute master of lowering expectations. No one lowered <laughs> expectations more than George Carl, and he would. And I remember the 2012-13 season. He would we they would go on road trips, and he would spend like uh, before they leave he would spend he would sit by that garbage can at the uh, at the practice court and he would spend at least 15 minutes telling telling the reporters that uh, if they would say like a five-game road trip well based on the opponents and the back-to-backs we'd be lucky you know we would be doing good if we won two right right, right so he right, would right. set the expectations yeah, 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 yeah. totally and that is something that um, uh, michael malone I probably maybe it's one hand, one hand, it's good that he doesn't do that. But on the other hand, you know, you'd probably be relieving yourself of a ton of stress if you managed your own expectations a lot better, because uh, it's got to be hard, especially when you're coming into a year that was so much, I mean, it, it doesn't seem like a lost rod of roster turnover, but three players, regular yeah. players is a lot of players. And that, that yeah. is, I'm curious to see how he does it this year. And, 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 Look, I'm not going to hold any any begrudge him any sort of results unless they take a big step back. I know, but uh, it really does is I need to see him being consistent with Michael Porter Jr. Not he doesn't have to start him in my right. view, but he has to be consistent with him. He's like like when when you look at it, do you feel the same way? Like I he, forget the starting angle. He just needs to have consistent minutes for him. Well. I think Malone would tell you if you told him that, that he was consistent with him last year when he messed up on defense, he pulled him out. (laughs) He was consistent about that all year. I think with this year, what you're getting at is maybe a little bit of a, just a longer leash. Like, yeah, he's got to play those 25 plus minutes per night, probably closer to 30. He's got to be playing those and he's going to have some really bad stretches. Do you bench him when he's not, you know, learning from those mistakes, maybe here or there, but it can't be like last year where it was, it felt like it got to a point where he would make one or two mistakes in a row and it was done. Not for the, not for the quarter, not for the half, for the game. 
he was done. And this year, of course, that can happen. Might pull him, might be hard with him. You might, you know, be reiterating. And teammates, too, I think part of this is if Malone's after him and nobody else, then it feels like the coach has it in for you. If Malone's after him and Jokic and Murray are like, yo, man, I know it's annoying, but, like, we all had to learn this and you do, too, it's a little bit more palatable. So um, I think it's a full team effort, not just a Michael Malone thing, but I do agree with you that, if he is not playing that consistent 25 plus minutes per game that from right from the jump, then my enthusiasm and optimism for the Nuggets, both near and near term and long term, take a huge hit. Well, I you know, I'll kind of go kind of picking on backing on what you were telling about the, the players too. I think there there needs to be a a player who is on the floor coaching, and yeah. that really helps out a lot. Because sometimes I, I think uh, that's why the 2009 Nuggets did so well is because Chauncey Billups was coaching. He was, he was right. essentially right. on yep. the floor being that coach. And a guy like that on the floor can help out tremendously. And maybe maybe that's where I don't know if, um, if Campazzo, uh right. is like that kind of guy to do that sort of thing because he's a new guy. But you need a guy who has a, is a respected voice to come out there and say, look, this is what we do. Or know you're messed up, but this is this is how you change that sort of thing. Or maybe have Wes Unsell Jr. do it because sometimes if it comes a lot mm. from the head coach, if it comes yeah. a lot from the head coach. It just the player starts to either tune it out or get resentful. George Carl, because he and I do a show together, and he he told me on that show that when Chauncey arrived, it was two weeks before the whole coaching staff knew they were the best version of themselves that they had been. That yeah. This was special. It wasn't like previous years, and that team was going to be good. Within two weeks. And the reason for that was that leadership, and, and like they could just tell, like, oh, finally we got that ingredient we were missing. It wasn't shooting. It wasn't rebounding. It wasn't defense. It was a guy who just keeps everyone accountable and, makes, and is an extension of the coaching staff on the court. Um, and so you look at this Nuggets roster, I think Jamal Murray is growing into that. I think Jokic will probably never be that guy, but he has obviously a lot of strengths in other ways, including other types of leadership strengths. But I do wonder if they're lacking that guy. And I don't think Campazzo can be that guy. Yeah. I mean, he has to be a world beater right out of the gate in order to, I mean, he has to be like Isaiah Thomas level MVP, MVP level right out of the gate for him to be able to pull that off because he hasn't accomplished anything in the NBA yet. Yes. He has a decorated career. I'm not trying to say he's not a great player. I'm just saying that, other NBA players are not going to look up to him until he proves his earns his stripes in the NBA. So I look around, I don't know who that could be. Hopefully that would be like, uh, uh, you know, hopefully that would be a uh, Jamal Murray, but they, I, I do think they need it. And I think Michael Porter specifically probably needs that person. Absolutely. And I, I think, you know, we've, we've kind of, we've kind of nailed into the ground how this season really rides on, on Michael Porter Jr. But springboarding from that, the Nuggets have a lot of new pieces. Uh, they got a, a backup center who is completely different from Mason Plumley, And I would like to kind of hone in on that because I think this is an acknowledgement from the Nuggets that maybe the Mason Plumley we need a guy who passes like Nikola Jokic in the second unit, uh, well, like, quote, unquote, like, <laughs> uh, approximates right. the passing. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, uh, from, from Nikola Jokic, I think that maybe that's an announcement from the front office that maybe they need to go a different direction with that. Because Hartenstein uh, Stein is a good, or Steen, or 
whatever. Uh, one of those <laughs> um, is 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 not the same guy as Mason Plumlee, and he's certainly not the same guy as, as Nikola Jokic. I think there may be a like a shift to a more traditional, different pace second union for the uh, for the Denver Nuggets. I think so too. I mean, that's the thing about Campazzo is he plays really really fast. Um, right. So you add him into a second unit. You've got some athletes on the, the roster now. I mean, obviously, MPJ can play fast. Um, you know, Hartenstein, it sounds like, will, will want to play fast. So you've got some guys that you can throw out there that, that can pick up the tempo a lot. But a lot of this always just has to do with your point guard. And if Campazzo is that guy and everywhere he goes, I think if you break down his skills, one of his top skills is the, his ability to make high-level plays at full speed. So that's yeah. primarily – I mean, that's in the half court, but it's also primarily in transition just – bullet speed forcing the defense on their heels and then making really complex reads passes shots whatever so i think it would be foolish not to take advantage of that anytime you have undersized players in a half you don't want to make that a half court offense because that means their their talents get diminished you want to use their speed not their size so um so yeah i could see them playing faster but then the two reasons in my opinion that the team doesn't play faster is jamal murray and nikola Jokic, probably in that order and so those two are going to start. I think the tempo increase would primarily come from staggered and second units, not necessarily starting units, whatever they may be. Um, I think speaking of Campazzo, um, are you a little worried that there's going to be kind of the same result that uh, Tia Dosic had when he came over? He had the same kind of height, but Tia Dosic was older. But I, I'm wondering if – because some, the, the, it just, sometimes the translation between leagues just doesn't work. Does that, does, is that a little bit of worry in your mind with Compazzo? Sure, but the one thing I'll say for Compazzo is if he doesn't pan out for the Nuggets, I don't think the Nuggets are meaningfully worse. If he yeah. does, they're, they, they're meaningfully better, especially in the regular season. But if he doesn't, it's kind of like Isaiah Thomas. You know, you try it out, it doesn't work. Okay, that didn't work. We could, maybe it cost you 10 games. I think with Compazzo, the leash is going to be longer they're going to give him longer than they did with it and right out of the gate. I think it was hurt a couple seasons back in that he wasn't able right away. He didn't go through training camp and then he just got thrown in. Um, So I think he was at a disadvantage, but Compazzo, you know, he'll get his opportunity. If it doesn't work out, the nuggets have a lot of guys that can play. And, and, and so there's got to be good players. You go through the, the lineup, is PJ Dozier going to play? I mean, where does he yeah. slot in right now? He's a yeah. good player. So if Compazzo doesn't work out, well, we know PJ Dozier elevates you and makes you a good team. So I just don't feel like if it doesn't work out for Compazzo, Denver is screwed. Um, but if he does, I do think it'll make him a lot more fun because him being good makes the Nugget, uh, you know, creates a more fun version of the Nuggets, even if not better, a more fun for sure. Look, I'm okay with fun. Like, not like your co-host on Lockdown. <laughs> I like fun. Okay. So it's so true. The longer you do this, Jeff, don't you just sit here and be like, you know what I like? Being happy and entertained. <laughs> like, Look, you know, winning would be fun and winning a championship, but I really enjoy being entertained. I have been a Nuggets fan since I was nine. I, I, I've learned through years, especially an entire decade of the 90s, to appreciate fun. Because let me tell you, there was nothing more worse than that decade. So obviously everything is on top of that. But as you know right. from my, my buddy Andy Feinstein and your buddy, that uh, no, longtime Nuggets fans are cynical as hell. So obviously yeah, any, sure. any, level of, yeah, any level of fun is just like gravy right. on top of that. Um, <laughs> we'll take gonna, it, man. We'll take it. <laughs> we're going to take a break. And when we come back, I'm going to talk to you about one former Nuggets player who penned an article this uh, week 
about uh, about toughness, and uh, we'll be back. We'll be right back. Oh. Uh, the gyms may not be full, but there's definitely no sort of shortage of madness this college basketball offseason. For us fans, the college basketball powers that be have gifted us the top-tier matchup between two powerhouses. This weekend, Gonzaga and Baylor will be going toe-to-toe -to -toe for what could be the nation's top ranking. DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, is bringing you closer to the action with the can't-miss offers. DraftKings Sportsbook is giving all college basketball fans who sign up now the chance to win $100 when betting on either Gonzaga or Baylor to win this clash of Titans. Plus, you'll get a deposit bonus of up to $1,000 when using the sign up, when signing up using promo code MHS for me to say. DraftKings Sportsbook has endless ways for you to bet, from live betting to betting on your favorite players. They do it all. Downloaded the top, download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use a promo code MHS when you sign up to earn your shot for one to turn $100 into $100, into $100. There, I got it. <laughs> got nailed it, it, nailed it. It nailed it. Uh, when betting on either Gonzaga or Baylor to win. That's right, $1 to win $100. Use promo code MHS during sign up to take advantage of these great offers. For a limited time only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, Colorado only. Bonus comprised of first deposit bonus. Deposit bonus requires 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem. Call 1-800-522-4700. Mr. Mottes, um, yeah, former Denver Nuggets uh, uh, power forward, uh, oft injured. Uh, his knees are probably disintegrating at this point. Kenyon Martin. <laughs> he uh, wrote an article uh, for a pl place I wasn't familiar with called uh, basketballnews.com uh, and it, it was entitled <laughs> The Death of the Enforcer, How the NBA Lost Its Physicality. Um, in it, basically, Kenyon Martin says that I couldn't change, I couldn't play now because I can't change the way I play to fit the league as it is now, which it was his overall point, I think more than it was kind of a you players these days don't understand physical physicality. It was a more of an NBA thing with him. It was like, I can't change the way I play. And uh, and if anyone saw Kenny Martin play, you know, there were times he was physical. He wasn't as physical as his reputation, and you know, indicated he was. But he was more physical than you would see probably now. Um, and a lot of that, you and I have talked about this many times, a lot of that has to do with the NBA increasing uh, fines tremendously to limit the physical play. Right. Um, yeah. well, but he's talking about the death of the quote unquote overall, you know, the enforcer in the league. Is that, is that necessarily right. a bad thing? I, I mean, certainly I lean more towards no, it's not a bad thing than yes. But I do think there is some level of, you know, the, the physicality is a part of the game. And I'm a big fan, as I know you are, of the big man, of the post-up, the back-to-the-basket game, of just the, the variety of the game. And I do think that the NBA is probably swinging too far in the way that they al allow contact inside but don't allow it outside. I would rather they allow it inside but allow a little bit more contact outside because right now, guarding a player and i'll get back to the enforcer part of this because i think that part's interesting but if we just talk about the physicality guarding a player on the perimeter right now if they especially with how talented these guys are and their ability to pull up and shoot um 
you know, off of the dribble, coming off the screen, turn the corner, pull up and go. If you don't guard them closely, they're going to knock it down. If you guard them closely, it's so easy to draw that little bit of contact that gets a foul. And to me, that's where it's different. If you're down in the post and you're Nikola Jokic and you get a little bit of contact as you spin towards the basket for a jump hook, they let it go. Cause that's the inside game. We allow contact there. If Damian Lillard comes off the screen and there's a little bit of contact on his jumper, it's no way. I mean, you could tap his, his fingernail and it's a call. So I do hope that they can find ways to balance it out because I, I just love the interior game and I, I hope we don't lose that. The role of the enforcer, though, the, to me, that's the guy that comes in and gives cheap shots. And I don't know if the NBA is missing that guy. Like, I, I, I don't want any players hurt. I don't want the dumb stuff. And I really don't want to reward, no, you know, the Kendrick Perkinses of the world whose talent level is so narrow that being an enforcer is such an enormous part of what he brought to the table. I don't want that player. But I do think that you can allow a little bit more physicality and, and emotion and, and, and those types of things. Well, it's interesting, and I have a theory on that. Before I get to my theory, uh, do you remember Reggie Evans? Uh, yeah, yeah, the Joker, of course. The Joker before, monster. Joker before the Joker. And uh, he <clears throat> he famously, in the cl- series against the Clippers in 2006, nut-punched uh, Chris Kamen. <laughs> okay. And you don't need that shit in the league. You just don't. Right, right. Um, right. That's, that's yeah. what... That's what happened, uh, you know, famously. One of the reasons the NBA went down this path is because Kermit Washington destroyed Rudy Tom Jonovich's face. And, right, and right, he had yeah. that reputation. Kermit Washington had that reputation as a guy who was right. on being an enforcer. You don't want that sort of thing. However, my getting to my theory, my theory has always been that as soon as the NBA got rid of the hand check rule or like started enforcing it, the, the benefit of the doubt went to the offensive player at all times. Because you took away the, yeah. the, the defensive player's ability to put a hand on, on the offensive player. So once that was gone, everything tilted towards the offensive player. Right. And what it has done is kind of, at least in my view, is kind of this why you have so much, uh, why it's so much harder to guard on the perimeter is because it, the, you're going, if there's contact, the offensive player is going to yeah. get the benefit of the doubt. So I think how you solve that part where the benefit of the doubt goes is going to be vexing because ain't, ain't no way hand check coming back. So, you know. Right. And for, yeah, yeah. And probably for the, for a good measure, here's how I would put it, Jeff, you want the Steph Curry's of the world to exist because they're fun. And I think, and because it takes an enormous amount of skill and I think you want skill in the game. You don't, you want the Steph Curry's to replace the, uh, Kendrick Perkins. You don't want the Steph Curry's to replace the Nikola Jokic's, in my opinion. And of course, yeah. I'm biased because of Jokic on my team, and I just love the way he plays. But I think you want the variety of talents, and that's what I think the NBA has missed out on at this very moment. You're right that it skews to the offense, but it also skews to a very specific type of offense. Right. And this is why Daryl Morey, the ultimate, like, just let's look and see what the league is doing and analyze it like it's a, um, like it's a, some kind of like a science project, right? Mm-hmm. He looks at that and he goes, you know where the market inefficiency is? Drawing fouls around the perimeter. So if you can shoot threes or fake shoot threes and draw fouls, like that's the best offense. I don't like that. I think that you want it to be that any type of offensive talent is useful in the NBA. And, um, you know, look, Jokic was in the conference finals. The Lakers won with Anthony Davis and LeBron James. Like there's still multiple ways to win a oh, title yeah. in the NBA. I just think that it is a little too – 
tailor, tailored to the guards on the perimeter that draw, that specifically are good at drawing fouls? Well, you don't get James Harden without Shaquille O'Neal changing the rules of the league. That'd be dead. Shaquille O'Neal, they couldn't guard him. They, changed, they, they, changed, they couldn't officiate him, so they changed the rules. And that, what that did over time was just open up the lane. So you don't have James Harden without Shaquille O'Neal and whatever happened with him in the early 2000s. Um, it's this domino effect, which it, it is what it is. I mean, uh, people have said that I, I'm uh, like, I don't care. I mean, to be honest with you, all that I care about is the fact that the league is just all threes. And I wish that it was, there was just the, the emphasis on variety, which the Nuggets have was more out there. Because if you, if you emulate a Nikola Jokic based offense, it's not going to be as, as say guard dominated. It's still guard dominated, but not as guard dominated. Yeah. And that's what I want. I want a not as guard dominant. You can whatever with the free threes. Okay, just shoot them all. But I want the the variety back mm-hmm. to the NBA. And I think, Mr. Optimistic here, I think that we're getting there. Mr. Optimism, that's you. <laughs> I wrote a column called Weekly Optimism. People cannot believe this, but I have evidence of this. But anyway, um, they they, I think the NBA is going to getting there because Jokic is showing the way. I, mean, I truly believe. It. Yeah, I. I definitely think Jokic is going to has already kind of transformed the game because like I said, bigs are, are starting to realize they have more talents and, and, and are spreading their wings a little more. I want to say one more thing about Kenyon though. Right. And that is that, because I do think that he provided some toughness. I mean, like he would give the hard foul rather than the soft foul when he got beat, you know, and like those types right. of things, not necessarily dirty. I just think this or that, but here's the thing that toughness while important, the, it's not the only type of toughness there is. And I think one of the things that's so fun about this last year was that the Nuggets were considered a not tough team all, yeah. all year and really for several years. They got into a battle with the, the, the Utah Jazz and out-toughed them. They got into a battle with the Los Angeles Clippers, a team known for being having a bunch of dogs, and they out-toughed them. A different type of toughness, but out-toughed them nonetheless. And to me, that mental toughness – it's less like glorified for whatever reason, like just, you know, amongst sports fans, sports fans like the like big brute, you know, bully, the nuggets just out toughed them with their will. And, and so to me, there's still that the, the way I would ch- explain the evolution from Kenyon Martin's NBA to today's NBA is a shift away from physical and a shift towards mental. So even when you talk about defense and in his article, he talked about like defenses are terrible this, these days. I wouldn't say that I'd say they're just more mental than they are physical. They're not less, maybe less physically, like let's just bang these guys, no easy buckets, you know, this or that. And more about, Hey, we have to make complex reads on the defensive end. Now and we have to be dialed in mentally. You know, to, 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 to go to this kind of toughness, I think Nikola Jokic is a lot tougher than apparently the Lakers yeah. thought he was. And I, one of the critical moments I thought of this last bubble, 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 um, was <laughs> that Jokic, that hook shot he hit over Rudy Gobert to win game seven was the, I mean, other than the Mike Conley, you know, missed basket, the, the, the shot, the hook shot he hit was a classic center move. Uh, it was just good footwork. Classic moves in the post, right? He was really tough because he got beat up on that series. It wasn't a good matchup considering what they were doing. Jokic had to be outside a lot more than he wanted to be. All of that stuff, but he did it. In that last game, game seven, he did 
one of, played one of his best games of the playoffs, carried the Nuggets in that game. That was toughness. That was mental toughness. And the toughness in the second series obviously was a big, big deal against the Clippers too. Um, when they got to the Lakers, and I kind of want you to comment on this. Obviously, the Lakers said, we're going to beat you up with, with Dwight Howard, and we don't care how many fouls he gets, right? What is a way that Jokic yeah, yeah. can combat that sort of thing? Because if we're talking about, like, this is springboarding off of, uh, of the Kenyon Martin thing. Clearly, that was a Kenyon Martin-esque approach. We're just going to limit you right. by beating the hell out of you. We don't care if you drop fouls. How do you counter yeah. that sort of thing in the modern league? I mean, how, how is it? How yeah. is, what is the counter he has, or more yeah. importantly, the team has? Well, first, the the officials allowed Dwight a lot of liberties against Jokic, and it was annoying. You knew it was going to happen, and they allowed it. They go right into the finals, and all of a sudden, Howard can't go two seconds without getting a foul called on him, and it was it was like very frustrating to be like, oh, okay. So it was just a it was just a, a Jokic thing that we were going to allow all this tomfoolery. Right. Um, but I do think there's one thing that Jokic needs to learn that is not a skill set he possesses naturally, and that is the willingness and ability to go quickly on the catch. He loves to catch the ball in the post, survey the court, back down with a couple dribbles, and then make his move. But And I think that's always going to be his primary comfort zone and what he does. But he needs to have the counter of sometimes of catching it and going quickly right at the defender. And I think with a guy like Dwight, Dwight was able to get away with all these subtle little jabs on him and different little things. But if you go right off of the catch – Dwight, Dwight has to keep your hands up. Once you're attacking, the defense has to kind of get their hands up, get, get their back straight and not, not lean in. If you're going slow and dribbling, you know, stagnant in the post and surveying, defenders are allowed to get physical with you. So to me, when, if I were Jokic, seeing how physical LA was trying to defend him, I would have just caught and gone right, right at him every single time and then trusted my instincts or his instincts in this case to read the court after being aggressive rather than reading the court and then being aggressive. That's a good, that's a good point too. And I, I, I was thinking as you were talking too, that maybe a, if he had a dream shake esque move, which is really athletic, but if he had a face up kind of move like that, it would help out a lot because a lot of his stuff is, unless he's shooting, you know, his floaters, um, a lot of his stuff is, is uh, face up. And I think other than having a, a more consistent three shot, which really kind of, hurt him a little bit in the playoffs. I think that uh, having a face-up move would benefit him a lot, especially if he's going to stay at this lower weight, which uh, who was it had, had the theory that now that he's married, that he'll gain weight again? <laughs> so, so, so. Uh, yeah, uh, the homie Miroslav. Yeah, we're getting yeah. this from Serbia. <laughs> <laughs> Switch, which I go, oh, okay, I hope that. But Jogic kind of liked playing heavy. I mean, yeah, I, I don't think he yeah. – I don't think he minded his weight. Like we all did, but I don't think I, I don't think he minded it as much as I mean he got shamed a lot, but I don't think he minded I don't think he minded he not having it though. Right. He lost it in the bubble and I thought was still very effective. But yeah. you were you brought up Hakeem. You're right that there's like certain complex moves like the dream shake that have like six, you know, a bunch of shimmy shake up and under, like all this. Maybe there's less and less of a place in the NBA for that because of the way teams can double right. and it's just harder to make great moves against the double. But I do think that another Hakeem move was he was really great at this. In fact, there's a great video of him teaching Kobe Bryant this move on YouTube where it's the catch. And as soon as that ball hits your hand, you have your hand up in the air. As soon as that ball hits your hand, you almost use the momentum of the ball to carry you into that quick spin. 
And Akeem was so good at catching it, looking like he was going to catch and hold, but as soon as he caught it, he would, boom, spin right around the, the backside of, of whoever was guarding him and get a dunk. And I think Jokic, th- those are just the types of moves that I think he can. Also, the Kevin Garnett, um, you were mentioning a face-up. You catch the ball, you inside pivot to face up and immediately swing through. Rather than face up and survey and look and, okay, what am I going to do? Instead, you go right into that rip-through move in, in, into whatever move you're going to do. And um, I just think that that's what Jokic needs to add to his game. And it, it's funny, if he does it, I actually think it's maybe the single thing that would most unlock his ability to dominate without relying on guys making shots. Right now he dominates when guys make good cuts and he knocks it out. Like he always makes the right read, but sometimes like against Portland game seven, the team goes two of 27 or whatever it was. Sometimes they don't and you look like a star, but I think the one thing that Jokic can add to his game that will counteract all of that are those quick moves that really put the defense on their heels and force them to double early or not double at all. And he can feast personally in those moments. Yeah, and you know he's got a good drop step too, and I and an underrated drop step. Um, I know that uh, the best drop set I ever saw was was Patrick Ewing. He, he had that down. Yeah. Um, and I and I and I like his drop set, but he needs a. And you're right. He needs a. He needs a move that is quick, and quick is not something that we associate with Nikola Jokic. But he needs. But he can be decisive, especially when he's throwing. You, we've seen him. He palms that freaking ball, and he just guides it in if he like incorporated that into his own offensive game you know boom get up i think it would be much harder to mess with him uh on the offensive on the offensive end i agree i hope he gets there because that's i mean it's funny he's a lot of people look at him and think like okay he's already you know he'll get better on the margins i still think he can get a lot better Mm -hmm. like i think Jokic is already a top 10 maybe top seven player in the nba i think he can get even better there's there's parts of his game that he can continue to grow that will really make him unlock uh, unlock a whole other level to him. Absolutely. Um, I, before I uh, we get out of here, I want you to talk about what you do at DNBR because uh, you guys have really expanded a lot. You guys have live shows. You guys that you, that go into podcasts. Wow. That I mean, it, it it is how much has this like been an adventure for you since you moved over there last year? Is this because you guys have really done a lot of exciting things? Yeah. I appreciate that. And yeah, man, it's been, it's honestly been the best. It's what we all wish we could have done, you know, with, with Denver stiffs. I think in, in some ways we technology has evolved over the last five or six years to allow like live streaming just wasn't capable back in 2013 when you were, you know, when we were first starting out over there, the live streaming, all that stuff. And then also just having unlike, um, you know, at, at Denver Stiffs, that was an SB Nation owned property. So we were at their, you know, sort of their discretion, you know, DNVR, the ability to just say, hey, let's pour resources into this thing and try it and see if it works. That's been what's so cool. So what you asked what I do there, I would say what I do is I try to, I, I, I'm trying to in, invent and cultivate and, and a part of a team that's trying to do these things of uh, creating a new genre of sports media. And it involves post game shows, it involves um, podcasting it involves videos and just cool ways of telling what I consider to be cool ways of telling stories that fit with the new resources available to us in the year 2020 soon to be 2021 well how much do you like uh, I mean you guys you you do a lot of podcasting um, is that your preferred method as a, like your yeah. comfort zone because like me 
that's where I, that's where I, sure. that's my thing, baby. So what did that kind yeah, of evolve with totally. you to like, once you got to DMVR, what, or was that, has that always been your kind of, your, your, your kind of mindset is like the podcasting angle. I've become less and less of a writer over the, over the time. But I think part of that is because I think people like society as a whole has become less and less of readers Yeah, <laughs> and you know, attention spans are shorter. Um, I enjoy the podcasting, you know, this Jeff podcasting is really intimate. People yeah. choose to listen to you and put the, put like your voice right into their earbuds, right, in, right deep into their brains. So yes. like they inviting you, uh, it, it's just an intimate experience. So uh, I like that it's conver- it, it can be conversational. It can do all these different things. So I love that. And then, you know, the articles I do write uh, over on DMVR right now are primarily like, uh, you know, videos and, and the writing on it isn't necessarily like great writing by design. It's like almost like captioning a video, right? And it's because this is the way I'm not so prideful as to say, hey, I'm going to force my audience to do something they don't want. My audience over five, six years clearly prefers to just like get a quick in and out of an article, like show me something, give me a video of it and a quick description. That's what they want. So that, that, that's what I'd say is most fun for me is just trying to figure out this new genre that doesn't have to be constrained by any, um, you know, in any norms or what people expect. And I, I, you know, I'm pretty happy with how it's turned out so far and I think it'll only get better. Well, uh, it's a compliment to you about how it has expanded the way it has. And uh, I hope everyone checks Adam out at uh, DNVR. Um, also, uh, for those of you who remember Adam when he first started at uh, Denver Stiffs, uh, I just had a random memory of those, remember those uh, charts that you used to try to put into the, uh, into the, uh, into, into your articles yeah. and it would explode up to like, <laughs> it's just... Yeah, <laughs> they like wouldn't fit, it would be enormous. I'd be like, why? I don't understand why this thing gets stretched. This is what I'm saying. Like technology's moving fast. That was 2014. And I was like, well, I guess I can't insert photos, you know, like into my article or whatever. It was so, it was so funny. I, I, uh, Nate, I'll never forget Nate. Nate uh, sent me an email to Jeff. Seen uh, Adam's article and went, no, just check check it out. So I clicked on it and there was like this 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 graph that exploded. And I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> Stretched. <laughs> how did this happen? Uh, oh, but that's how technology has advanced since then. Uh, and that was only six years ago. Um, before- do you remember if you want to talk about a funny one? Now yeah. now we do podcasting and it's like light equipment or this that. Do you remember when we used to go to Jake's and do podcast together? And yes, we'd have and we to had to wheel in bar- like yes. barrels of like equipment. <laughs> it was so funny. I still got that. Uh, Nate's got the bag still, but it's got the mixing he- equipment in it and yeah. the microphones and that uh, yeah. H4N, right? Is that uh, that that uh, uh, you used to record your audio through? And he's still got that all there. And they would actually, it's a bit yeah. audio equipment that I'm using right now, but it is still like, we used to wheel that in and now we can do it over Zoom. It's like, yeah. man, like, gee, yeah. I mean, don't even have to be there. Now, before, before I go, um, you, next time I have you on, I want to have you on, on a, either a movie or music show. So you, uh, Ooh. whatever you want I'm to in. want to do. I mean, we, we, Apparently, we know about airplane and your your cohorts at uh, at DMVR <laughs> do not. So I was so surprised they didn't get that reference. I suppose so. airplane would be more fun than like No Country for Old Men. <laughs> I, I guess I don't know if No Country would be like as. I, it's a I, great I, movie. I, great I movie. love that movie. It's a great movie. Um, it's uh, look, every, you choose the movie, and we'll do one on that. So 
Um, Sounds great. All right, man. Well, thank you all for joining us. Thank thanks to Adam for joining me, and we'll see you uh, well in a couple of days.